Crystal Siracus. Welcome to Off the Page, the show featuring good books and good conversations with writers from our own region and around the world. Thanks so much for being here. Ithaca author Brie Barton is my guest today. Her latest book is Zia Erases the World, a wonderful coming-of-age story about a young girl, a magical dictionary, and the discoveries she makes about herself. Brie, thank you so much for talking with me. I am so excited to be here, Crystal. Thank you for having me. I I really loved this book. Um, It's one of the books that I kind of wish I'd had when I was growing up. And there are so many really important threads in Zia Erases the World. Anxiety, depression, seeing your loved ones grow older and all of the changes that come with that. We see all of these things through the eyes of Zia. So when did this character come to life for you? Well, in a way, it depends on when you count a beginning. I think it's so much a part of my own story, right? Zia was sort of with me at age 11 when I was going through my first depression, but it took many more years than that, of course, for her to crystallize as her own character. And I started working on this book in 2016. Um, I had had an idea for a couple years before that even of a magical dictionary that erases words and and the sort of ripple effect that happens, right, when these things disappear from the world. In its original version, it was very, it was softballing some of the themes that I would get to later. I think in my very first envisioning, Zia erases the letter A, which I was sort of charmed by on a craft level. I was like, oh, I'm going to write chapters without a letter A. And then I thought, what, what are you doing to yourself, Brie? (laughs) Why are you attempting this? And also it was, it was shallow, right? My agent sort of correctly called me on, is that really what this smart, introspective, struggling young girl would erase? Wouldn't she erase something bigger? And that got me thinking more about the feelings that I had at age 11 that felt so big and so unnameable. What would would I have actually erased if I'd had the power to erase anything? And that's how I found my way to fear and pain and sadness. And that's when Zia really snapped into place, right? That's when I understood that I was writing a book much deeper than I had originally anticipated and that this was going to be a way for me to explore a lot of the feelings that I went through at that age and that so many young people are going through now. I mean, times 10. I always say when I speak at schools, I didn't have a global pandemic, right? Mm. There's so much more anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation. And that was true even before COVID-19, right? You've got the U.S. Surgeon General's advisory on youth mental health. It was already a crisis. And then we've all been isolated and scared and alone for the last two years and change. So I think in some ways Zia was waiting for her moment perhaps to to give a story that even more kids could see pieces of themselves reflected in. I think that was one of the most important things for me in reading this that I'm actually going to give to every person with a young person that I know, because I think it's a really important book and told in a way, though, that's not like lectury or, you know, it's a story, right? It's it, There's connection to people. And I read in a few places that you had said someone asked you, what story would you have wanted to read when you were a kid? Is Zia your response to that? Yeah, for sure. Someone had said to me, you know, write the book that you needed in sixth grade when you were going through this, mm. this darkness, right? This time that you couldn't explain and no one else seemed to be going through it. You know, what would have been a comfort for you to read? And that really was my guiding light. That was my North Star for writing this. What 
what can give comfort and right and thank you for saying that that it's it doesn't have to be this dark horrible heavy journey because I wouldn't have wanted to read that when I was already in a dark place right when I already felt this dark room inside me and outside me the last thing I would have wanted to do is read a depressing book but a book with light and humor and jokes and puns but that took on this weighty dark room inside me you know that that gave voice to that, but in a way that there was hope and lightness in it, that would have been the book for me. I think I would have been so comforted. I would have felt so seen and validated in my experience. And that's really what I hope that the book does give to young people, even people who aren't going through capital D depression, right? Capital A anxiety, but people who just feel different or broken or alone or messed up, which hello, every person who has ever been in middle school, (laughs) in the the history of of life, right? We we all have struggled with some sort of unnameable darkness inside us, some sort of dark room that sits inside us. And we're so sure that we are the only one who feels it. And guess what? We're probably not. And I think so much of the book, I mean, what was fun for me, I think a lot about language. I was an English major. I love words. That's probably pretty apparent from anyone who this book, right? It's designed around 26 dictionary entries are the interstitials. There are so many invented words. My copy editor hated me at Penguin. They were like, you know, just baffled by all of these words that weren't real. And they would make lists and be like, this isn't a real word. I said, I I know that that's sort of the point. But I think, you know, someone who loves language, it was so interesting to me to explore this girl's journey where she loves language. She loves words too, but she can't find the ones to describe this feeling. So mm-hmm. her only way through is, well, let's take the words I do know that are horrible, the fear, the pain and sadness, and let's get rid of them. Let's erase them because then surely I will feel better and the people I love will feel better. Well, no spoiler, right? Things go differently than she intends, but I just love the idea that this, this journey of, of erasure that she thinks she's on to, to right these wrongs, it's actually a journey of learning how to speak the things inside us. It's learning how to name our most private pain. That is how we heal it. That is how we find people who can support us, who can help us, who can get us professional help, right? Or just be friends who understand what we're going through. So it was so fun to explore, (laughs) I mean, right? The the central misbelief of any character in in books, right? That they think that there's this thing that they're after. They're on this journey to, Mm -hmm. to do A, B, and C, but actually... D is the thing that's going to get them to what they want. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this is that for those of us who have read fairy tales, we're familiar with this idea that names have power or that naming things can give you some control over that thing. And that's one of the things that popped into mind with Zia's not quite obsession, but just her, her exploration of language and that she named, you know, what is her depression, the Shadoom. She describes it as the room of shadows inside me, no windows, no sunlight, no doors, just a dark hole in the scoop of my chest. And that is such a perfect description of that feeling. But I'm curious, when did that word come to you? Has that been something with you for a while or something you came up with the book for the book? Great question. It was truly for the book. And what's funny is that, you know, obviously many, many prior drafts of this book before the one that was published. And in at least one, I think the first couple of drafts, the word that Zia had inside her was sadness, capital S is how I styled it in the book. But it never made sense 
because why would she not open right to the page with SAD on it and erase sadness? It was sort of this fundamental problem that I never solved. It was like, well, she's got sadness, but she would just go immediately and erase it. And I couldn't solve it. So I think, but it's funny that it took me even two drafts to realize that I, that that wasn't working. And then finally it just clicked. Oh, well, she, she loves words. She invents words. She's got to invent a word for this. And I swear, Crystal, the minute that I had that thought, I went, shadoom. This idea, it, it felt right. The sound was right, right? The kind of the doom in that word. And of course, Zia and me also, we love merging hybrid words together, right? Sort of sticking to it. What does Zia say? She calls it a short manteau, like putting two short men, smushing them together into a tall one. <laughs> and I do, I love portmanteaus. I love them. So I, I'm sort of in that space anyway. So as I was thinking, you know, darkness, room, shadow, darkness, room, shadow, shadoom, 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 it just clicked. And it felt so much more accurate for my even adult depression than the word depression, right? It was, yeah. it, it felt like it held all of that that feeling, the darkness, the heaviness, the gloom, the, the, the weight of depression. And so, yeah, now I feel like I, I refer to my depression more with shadoom than depression. One of the things, you know, I really thought about also with reading this book is how we underestimate young people, or maybe we don't remember ourselves, just how hard it can be to put a name to to diagnose ourselves sadness. I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling, you know, anger at the world. I'm feeling helpless. And I'm just curious in that writing process, did you feel sometimes like Zia should have understood faster or did you really just understand that process of learning about yourself in many ways? Yeah, I think that was a constant calibration and recalibration for me as I was writing, because in a sense, right, I, I created a character who's extremely verbal, right, hyperverbal, right, right, really, really self-aware in so many ways. I remember when we were taking this out to publishers, some of the feedback we got in the midst of the rejections was, you know, she's 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 too aware. She doesn't seem like she's eleven. Um, I happen to believe that children are just so brilliant. I mean, all of these school visits, I've, I've spoken at over 30 schools in the last month, month and a half, and it has done nothing to disabuse me of the notion that children are, they get everything. I mean, they get everything. In some ways they are closer and more attuned to really complex, hard feelings than adults, right? We've learned to compartmentalize, we shut it mm -hmm. down. Like they're in it, they're sitting in it and it is raw and real for them. And so I think I was always sort of, yeah, trying to measure okay, would Zia have the words for this yet? You know, has she, has she absorbed the words that are in the zeitgeist? Because the truth is, I think kids today usually are familiar with words like depression and anxiety. I know this for a fact because I often ask as part of my school visit, I say, you know, who here is familiar with anxiety, right? And a bunch of hands go up. And then I say, you know, what's it mean to you? And it's so interesting to hear people's, um, people's responses. So in some way, Zia is more a creature of my experience, I mean, truly in the 90s, right, where you, if you would ask me in sixth grade what mental health meant, I would have had no idea, right? That wasn't a word in the vernacular then. We're talking about that. So in some ways, it's this experience that I had that I think kids today are actually a lot more fluent, a lot more savvy about some of these terms. But you know what's interesting? That savviness doesn't always mean that they can find the right words. That's been one of the most interesting thing about doing all these visits and connecting with more kids is that even if there's a lot of fluency or let's not say fluency, but a lot of awareness around 
terms like self-care, mental health, anxiety, mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily translate to them being able to own it. And in some ways, I think the density of words around mental health and mental illness, I think in some ways it makes kids feel a little dizzied. Young people are a little bit like, oh, it's that thing over there. Uh, we're hearing about it in health class, but I'm not sure I really see myself in that narrative. So I do think young people today are on a different journey than I was, right? I mean, for starters, they go to school afraid that they're going to die when a shooter comes in, which was not my experience. And I try to, I try to bring that into the room when I talk to young people because they have a set of fear and anxiety that is very different than what I had, right? And I try to leave space for that because that's valid their right to be afraid. So how can they, how can they own that fear and that, you know, whatever it's triggering for them and find a way through it, even as we acknowledge the reality of the world we live in. That's hard stuff. That's, that's hard stuff to do as adults. And it's extra hard when you're young and you're still figuring out how to name your truth of your lived experience. Yeah. I mean, so many of us struggle with that well into our adult lives. And, and I was thinking about the feedback that maybe she's too self-aware. And I think that that might be an easy assumption to make if you don't spend time around kids. But the minute you're hanging out with some 11-year-olds or even younger, you know, I've, I've seen this with my nieces and nephews growing up that they're just amazing. It has been such a joy and delight to be connecting with so many young people in the wake of this book, because I am just consistently blown away. I mean, I often, I'll do writing workshops with a lot of these schools, and I've also worked with nonprofits and libraries. And so we'll do writing exercises and custom-made writing prompt from this book, right? What word would you erase? If you could erase one thing in the world and it would vanish, no one even remembers it ever existing, what word would you erase? And the responses, the writing that comes from that prompt have, it has just blown my mind. It has blown my mind. And sometimes I'll go around the room if we don't have time for a full writing workshop and I'll just get people to say their word, you know, what would you erase? Or sometimes I say, okay, you have one word to describe COVID, your experience the last couple of years. What, how would you sum that up in a word or a couple of words? And one nine-year-old, maybe 10-year-old at most, he was the last person in this auditorium of young people. And I had asked the question, sum up COVID, sum up your experience the last couple of years. And he said, like hiding from a lion. And I was like, I think I should retire because I don't think I could ever encapsulate so perfectly and poetically what this third, fourth grader has said, right? I mean, I'm just consistently blown away by young people and their ability to process the world and to turn really horrible things into poetry or metaphor. And the way that they can often, sometimes when they write in response to the prompt, they hold space for both things, why they want to erase the word and what they would lose if they erase the word, how it would affect culture, how it would affect their family history. This isn't a writing prompt. I give them six minutes to write what word they would erase. And they have the, the emotional and mental acuity and sort of ability to hold complex emotions and contradictions. These are children. So yeah, I defy anyone who says, well, I don't know. I mean, this just seems a little self-aware for, for a child because I, I'm just consistently humbled and floored by how much they understand and how deeply they can process and articulate their emotions. 
one of the other things that I really love are the other characters in the book, especially Alice, because Alice just seems like she's got it going on and she and Zia become friends, even though, you know, Zia feels like she's too weird to have friends. So tell us about Alice. I love Alice. She was such a joy to write because she comes into the story. She sort of barrels into the story right in the very first chapter with all the things that Zia wishes she could have. She's confident, she's funny. Although she is also hiding in the bathroom stall along with Zia not wanting to face cafeteria, you know, middle school lunch because of the many things that have scared me in my life, lunch in the cafeteria at a middle school might be the worst. So I think Alice is this wonderful contradiction in a lot of ways, right? She's, she's so bold, she's so smart, she's funny, she wants to be a stand-up comic. And then she's also dealing with some stuff that's hard, no spoilers, right? But it turns out that in fact, she's on a parallel journey to Zia in a lot of ways. They're both sort of holding, they're, they're, they're both harboring a kind of dark room inside them that they're not always able to express. And so when they find each other and can really connect on that and really share openly, it's a beautiful thing. But yeah, it was interesting writing Alice because she just is a force of nature. And, and certainly in many drafts of this book, you know, editors and early readers would say, I just love her. <laughs> she just has such a great energy. She feels like her own, she's wholly her own, right? She's her own person and she's so developed in a lot of ways. And she's the perfect counter for Zia in so many ways. They're really alike, but then also they complement each other. Um, and it was great fun to develop that friendship. I, I just love friendship stories. And there are really no male or male identifying people in this book. I mean, there's the bully, right? And then there's <laughs> there's a sort of peripheral friend who sits with them sometimes at lunch, Louise, and that's it. And mm -hmm. I kind of loved doing that. It was like, can I write a book with three generations of women, right, in this family? And then we have Alice, and then we have Alice's mom. I guess her dad briefly makes an appearance. Then we have the sort of older friends, right? The original friend group, which are girls. And it was just wonderful to write this really women and girl focused story and to feel like I was allowed to do that. And and I love and I don't think this is giving too much away that there's no there's no bad guy in the book. And and even with some of the things that we talk about with bullying and other things, I, I really I was really happy to see that a lot of that was misunderstanding and not understanding what the other person's going through, which I know is not always how the world turns out, but it was just it I think in this particular book, it really worked because it also was just that little bit of hope, that that thread that kind of ran through the entire book. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I the the bully's arc is perhaps one of the things that has changed most in the many drafts. He he sort of used to be more irredeemable, and I sort of I softened that and I I explored him more and I wanted to sit with you know what what are some of the other things going on for him and I'm really pleased with how that how that arc turned out. And that was, I mean, I had a lot of help from authenticity readers and, you know, different people sort of helping me calibrate. But yeah, one of the most validating pieces of feedback I've gotten was from a mom who said, thank you so much for including redemption for the bully, because my son deals with major anxiety and fear, and he can sometimes bully because he doesn't know how to process his emotion and he's really struggled. And so it really meant a lot to me as a mom that you didn't vilify this boy, right? And not to endorse, not to condone bullying, right? We don't like that, but to, to show a fuller story than we often see of the, of the bully, right? The bad guy bully in the book. So that really, that really meant a lot to me and, and made me feel like I, I did well 
fleshing that arc out and making it more human, right? And to your point, hope. I, I really, I really wanted to give these characters hope. And that came in different forms. I mean, I, well, no, again, I keep giving almost spoilers, but there's a character born in this book, right? Whose middle name is Hope. Mm. She gets named in the in the final pages of the book. And, and that is the gift I wanted to give the reader too, right? I wanted this book to, to birth some hope, especially for young people who are having a hard time finding it. Yeah. I want, I want, um, I want to do a reading now, if you're, if you're up to that. I'm up to it. So this is a scene in the early parts of the book. It is after Zia has discovered the magical dictionary. She's used the dictionary to erase some smaller things, some smaller triggers of her depression, but she hasn't used it to erase anything with vast global implications. So she's just had a really visceral memory of the night that the Shadoom came, how it started. And she's just had that memory and she is alone in her apartment. Her mom and her Yaya, her Greek grandmother, are off at the hospital getting some tests done on Yaya. So she's just had the memory. She's just coming out of it. And here's where we begin. The memory cracks me wide open. I'm frozen in Yaya's rocking chair, shadows swirling in and around me, tearing through my body like a tornado. The darkness seeps into the hollows of my rib cage. It oozes through my blood. The Shadoom is outside me, inside me. It's everywhere. I should call mom, ask for a lightning bug, beg her to come home. The Shadoom blots out everything good and sweet and easy. It hurts too much to bear the weight of that alone. The cordless phone is only six steps away, three if I leap them. But what would I tell mom? Even if I did find the words, then she'd know her sunshine girl was broken. And what if even she can't fix me? That would be so much worse. I hear a soft flutter, the sound of paper ruffling in my backpack the dictionary. My hands ache to hold it. I know it's calling for me, offering to conjure its magic, but my bag is crumpled on the floor by the kitchen counter, which feels like miles from where I am. My chest is shrinking, folding in on itself like a paper napkin. Soon there will be nothing left. Why does this happen? I hear the other sixth grade girls talk about who likes whom and when they'll be allowed to shave their legs. Sure, they have bad days, but most of the time they're sunny. And here I am too scared to leave my grandmother's rocking chair. Other people seem to have feelings while my feelings have me. The pricklies rise on my arm like bumps on a strawberry. I'm afraid of losing mom. Afraid of being alone, but also afraid of being with people. Afraid they won't understand the Shadoom, that they'll think I'm weird or messed up, that something is seriously wrong with me. And I guess at the heart of it, I'm afraid they're right. How have I never seen it? I know the name of the Shadoom, the real name, not the one I made up. Fear. It's always been fear but the shadows made it too dark to see. I force myself up, then tug the Seascuro dictionary out of my backpack and dig a finger into F. This time, the dictionary doesn't stop me. It opens right to the page I want. Fear, noun, one, 
an emotion caused by impending danger, evil, etc., whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. What would it be like to live without fear? My cheeks flush hot. There it is. While I've been wasting time erasing silly, unimportant things, the word I wanted was right here all along. There's movement on the page. The ink beads beneath my fingertips. An illustration materializes on the paper, bubbly like a comic book. A dark-haired girl sits alone on a canopy bed, three hairbands gracing her left wrist. Alice. She stands, her cartoon eyes catching mine, and suddenly she's moving toward me at an alarming speed, her picture growing larger as if she desperately needs to tell me something. I hold my breath. Is she going to step right off the page? But then the ink contorts, twisting into a starburst, and Alice vanishes inside the whorl. Her words echo in my head. I don't want to be afraid. It's so obvious, it might as well be inked onto my eyelids. Yaya is afraid of cars and mountain lions. Mom is afraid of losing her job. Alice is afraid her parents are going to forget about her. Even Tom Strong is afraid, afraid of people who are different. And me? That's easy. I'm afraid of everything. But I don't have to be, not anymore. I'm breathing hard as I lift the eraser from the dictionary, and this time I don't hesitate. I press it into fear, and I erase every letter. Well, I'm ready for you to read the rest, but we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> Story time later. I know. I do have one more question about Alice, though. Alice seems a little bit special, a little bit magical mm -hmm. in herself. What were you thinking with that? Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people have asked me that, and I don't have a good logical answer. I only have an emotional answer. It just felt right to me. I really, I wanted her to hold on to things, even when, when others don't, right? Even when Zia can't. I wanted her to be, I think they're on such a parallel path, as I said, and I, but I wanted Alice to be a little bit farther. I wanted her to be the one sort of calling back over her shoulder. I see what you're doing. I understand why you want to erase these things, but guess what? I wanted that energy. And so, yeah, I wanted, and in a way she's both friend and mentor to some degree, right? She's, she's lived through a lot of what Zia has lived through, but she's processed it a little bit better. She's integrated more into her life. I don't think it's a coincidence that she's also been in therapy, right? <laughs> so much of this book is my sort of valiant attempt to champion how helpful therapy can be. So yeah, I wanted her to kind of be sending news back from a little bit farther in the process. And I think then it just was so natural that there is something magical about Alice and certainly won't give anything away, but I've had I've had a lot of, yeah, of my young readers be really intrigued and perplexed by her and especially some things that happened toward the end of the book. Um, and I've always said that if there were a sequel or you know, a prequel or, or some sort of other edition, I feel like it's Alice's story. Oh, yes. That's, that's all I'll say. Bree, thank you for this conversation. This has been such fun. Oh, thank you so much. This has been a delight. And thank you for reading reading the story and loving it and giving it to children and adults. We'll throw them in there too. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much.
Bree Barton's latest book is Zia Erases the World. It's definitely recommended for the young people in your life, and I think most adults will really love it too. You can find out more on our website at wskg.org. Off the Page is a production of WSKG Public Media. I'm your host and producer, Crystal Sarakis. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time we go Off the Page.